0: Fire on the set. Action.
1: Welcome to the Movie Machine Podcast. We are a podcast produced by Hot Chocolate Media, where we make up a movie really fast based on a random suggestion from the internet. I am joined by three very talented people today. We have our writer, Bob Alberti, who is the uh, perpetual host of Tales from the Crypt. Welcome, Bob.
2: Hello!
3: Hello!
1: Nice to nice to have you here. Uh, we have Kamara, who is the voice coach for Jaleel White on Family Matters. Welcome.
3: <laughs> Hi. It's good to be here.
1: Yeah. And then we have Kyle, who was the stunt double for all of the Teletubbies. Welcome. He is our producer today. Yep. Coming. I'm a little higher up
0: in the food chain these days. This yeah. is true.
2: Yeah. He's the stunt double for the sun. No more tinky
1: winkies to the crotch anymore. Right. So, without further ado, let's hear what we're going to be creating today. The theme of this story: dramatic slice of life. The main character: weak fortune teller. The start of the story, failure. The end of the story, training. All right, Bob. You have three minutes.
2: Well, I, you know, this has been an important story to me my entire life. When I was back in film school, this was one of the earliest scripts I put together. Um, it's based on my own life growing up in Queens, New York. Uh, we had on the corner, we had a storytell, a, a, a fortune teller, and across the street was uh the discount storyteller and uh his name was tony um and he his his basic skill was he would get one in ten predictions right and so this is sort of a character like tony but legally differentiable from tony uh it's a character who he's a failure at the beginning of the of the film he is a failure because he's unable to predict even the most straightforward things. I mean, he's looking up in the sky on 9-11. He sees this jet flying along, shrugs and looks away. It never even occurs to him something bad might happen. Um, He goes through a lot of changes. He meets uh, a very important uh, guide, a mentor, uh, who is a telepathic dog. Um, This telepathic dog is, in fact, quite capable of predicting the future and kind of helps Tony along. Tony has the inner eye, The inner eye needs contacts. And so the dog helps him develop the psychic contacts that let Tony become a better fortune teller. In the end, of course, it builds to a climactic, world-shaking conclusion where Tony's fortune telling is part of what prevents a huge apocalyptic disaster. Or does it? And at the end, of course, the dog dies because the mentor always has to die. Tony has to take the dog's place. And then Tony himself picks up a young girl, not that way, he, 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 a young girl who is a, a refugee of this terrible apocalyptic disaster that may or may not happen, and then he is training her at the end and we're ready for the sequels. So we've got the character establishment, we have the setting and the role, and we've introduced this young girl. Now the important thing, and I'll leave it to the director, but we have to find some starlet, we need to find like the next Emma Watson where she's she's innocent sweet and young but she's gonna grow up to be a kick-ass you know sharp actress so uh, that's a small task and directors do this all the time so i'm sure that there'll be no trouble finding a young woman who for the first movie is this breath of fresh air this this, this wide-eyed dewy uh young woman who's enthralled by tony and then he puts her through the kind of the kind of uh, uh kung fu kid uh, uh training session and then get the montage with the kicks and the battles and then at the end, she's ready to kick some ass. So when we come to the second movie, she's a little older. She's starting to fill out her shirt a little more. She starts to bring in the young teenage crowd. It's sort of a young adult movie. I got a whole trilogy planned. By the end, she's totally hot, man. She's totally smoking. But to start with, with this movie, we have to build that character arc. We have to bring Tony from failure to success, from apprentice to teacher. And we have to bring her in so that she's ready to be the apprentice for the next movie. So kind of like your your... your, your yeah, the one big one with Jennifer Lawrence, uh, uh, that one, that movie that came out. It's kind of like that. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Hunger that's Games, that's I it. Know. I'm terrible with names. So yeah, kind of like the Hunger Games, but with fortune telling, set in a modern urban, urban noir kind of setting. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to kick ass. I really All right. Love. What's this movie called? Um, this this movie is called Trouble in Mind. Okay. And it's part of the Trouble series. Okay. Sounds good. So, Kamara, you've just been
1: handed this script uh, Bob's been working on. He's got a trilogy in mind uh, about a, a fortune teller who is not very good, but meets a telepathic dog and eventually takes uh, a young woman under his wing to, to teach her the, the ways of fortune telling to prevent the, uh, the so-called apocalypse. Hmm. Where do we go with that from here? How's this movie going to look like?
3: Well, when I hear a fortune telling dog mentor, I think Meryl Streep. Okay. You know, Meryl Streep
2: can
3: really it. she can really take it there with any character she plays. You know, whether it's a a rabbi and a or uh, or you know Julia Child she can she can just she really sells it for me and what i appreciate about her is she knows exactly what to do with her hands at all times so i think transitioning from having two hands and two legs to having four legs is just going to work really well with her and with our audience i think she's incredibly workable and i respect her highly now for tony i'm thinking chris hemsworth you know we want somebody who is very talented and versatile, but also would look good failing. The guy that you would root for. And it's just, you know, he, he just really comes to mind for that, he's incredibly talented and attractive. So when we're talking about someone who's gonna carry a movie, both for audiences who are into the artistry, but also into the hotness, Chris, Chris Hemsworth is our guy. For the uh, competing uh, fortune teller, the stronger one, I'm thinking Laverne Cox. You know, she's strong, she's funny, she's affable, she's got it going on, everybody knows her name, and again, she knows what to do. She just really takes it there. I mean, she could play anybody. And then, you know, for this young starlet, I'm thinking Uzo Aduba, you know? She's got the versatility, she's young, she can play young, and uh, yeah, she's really got that breadth of experience and emotional awareness and intuition that I just, you know, when I think young starlet to carry three movies, I just, I just, I can't get her out of my mind. You know, she's absolutely magical. I've heard nothing but good things about her. You know, and I I know I'm leading it to Orange is the new black stars here, but I mean, they're on it for a reason, right? Yeah, so I'm thinking that's what we're gonna go with for that one.
2: Now, I, I saw, I saw uh, Meryl Streep as the rabbi cook in uh, Schindler's Bisque. Um, do you think that you're going to want her uh, in costume, or was she going to be CGI, or is she just going to method it?
3: I think we'll just let her method it, you know? The old way is kind of the best way in terms of my directing style. CGI, it's, it's great, but, you know, I try and stay to the real, to the natural, the gut, and that's uh, you know that's why I ultimately picked Meryl Streep for this uh, fortune-telling dog, because she she'll bring on that that gut feeling that you really want, and I just I just think CGI would erase that. That's
1: pretty brilliant.
2: Thank
3: you.
1: All right, so Kyle, you've got a, a picture in the works from uh, Bob and Kamara here. It's a, a rather in the moment, <clears throat> fairly true but slightly sexy tale about a fortune teller and uh, a cast of telepathic dog and mentee opposing <clears throat> opposing fortune teller what do you think how are we gonna get this movie made
0: all right well i mean this one uh this one's pretty straightforward we can pull it out uh, people's heartstrings. i like that it's usually good to put some butts in the seats however some of the casting choices a little too expensive meryl streep uh, one, I don't think she'd be willing to be a talking dog. She's just going to wave all her...
2: It's uh, telepathic. Yeah, yeah.
0: Whatever, talking, telepathic, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I work with Teletubbies. What do I know about telepathy? Uh, they just mostly went, and whatever things. But uh, she she's going to just wave her Oscar nominations on her face and we won't be able to get her. But well, there was a great movie... Uh, apocalyptic movie called A Boy and His Dog, which actually had a telepathic dog. The boy was played by Don Johnson. So we're going to turn on his head and we're have Don Johnson voice the dog and then the, all the sci-fi nerds and stuff that are big about the things will go, oh man, I see what they did there. And Don Johnson will literally work for Peaches. Like we can just get him a truck full of Peaches. Did, did and, he
2: record that song about all the Peaches? Uh,
0: no, that's not him. He just, okay. you know, but... You know he, it's been a long time since he had like a steady, steady procedural cop TV show to be on so we could literally pay him in produce so that's gonna save a ton on the bottom end and you know if not we can probably just pay him in a like a suitcase full of unmarked bills at a very low amount uh, and I'll really save on our budget so yeah you know, mail Street would have been great we would an Oscar nominee or great she won't she won't do that so we're gonna give that nod for both a cheap actor and someone that may be in that Kind of cult counterculture fan base will get them in because they'll really talk on the internet about the films like oh my gosh they did that um, as far as our starlet, um, the young girl Delisa, um, I'm afraid her current choice is a little too old initially to play young but I, I have an idea I like what we're going to, you know, someone's a little under the radar, someone who has some action movie chutzpah. Uh we're going to go with Amandala Stenberg who played Rue in the uh, Ooh,
3: yes
1: Hunger Games movie, mm, yes.
0: so she's she's only 18 years old now, so she can still play super young, but definitely develop into that kick-ass lady in in films because she's already you know almost 20, but she's at that perfect age. She's got the action, chutzpah and everything else. Um, Hemsworth's great. I think we're you know a little stale in him right now, but he'll put buttons in seats. I think there there's a chance that we're getting exposed to him too much. Uh, he's gonna be a little expensive to get some, but I think he'll take some time. This this has a more kind of an indie feel, so like he'll get tired of doing the Marvel movies someday, and, <clears throat> and you know take a break. So uh, I'm I'm cool with 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 Hemsworth. I, I won't change him, but is they, he is
2: he hard to work with? I think no, he gets hammered a lot. Oh god. Oh <laughs>
0: um, no, he he uh, he, uh, he just is really Thor every morning, but. Uh, uh, see, I, yeah, oh God, you got me doing it. Um, but yeah, Stenberg and Don Johnson. So, Don Johnson basically costs nothing. Stenberg will pay her a nice amount, kind of lock her into a three movie deal. And, uh, I'm gonna set our budget. We're gonna go, we're gonna have some budget for the actors and some nice couple action pieces. We're gonna set it at 50 million. So, we, we've got a good budget to do stuff with, but we're not going mega blockbuster. We're going solid writing act, uh, character-driven story with a couple nice set pieces, visually.
1: All right, so we're going to pass it back to Bob. Bob, you've gotten a few little changes from the studio. You've got names attached to to the roles that you have on paper, and you know that you've got uh, enough money to throw a few explosions in there if you want to do something big. uh, What comes next for you?
2: Well, you know, the actual person upon whom the story is based was kind of a scrawny shiftless kind of fellow, but with Hemsworth in there, I really see meat, I see action, I see something happening. Um, You've got uh, that great casting for the nemesis uh, uh, fortune teller, the one whose chicanery and machinations uh, lead to the huge apocalyptic crisis, and then you've got a really, really solid supporting actress. I love that idea um uh and and so i'm thinking there's got to be some kind of love triangle here you got to have uh the draw between the rivalry with hemsworth and then this this evil and yet alluring uh much better fortune teller uh, uh, who, who, who is his rival and of course she can always see everything coming that he can't figure out so she's always went one step ahead of him and yet at the same time once he meets um our our, our actress who is becomes his mentee um then he's drawn to her in a completely different and much more innocent, fresh way, and he, he wants to protect her now from these machinations. And then you've got the wisecracking dog, uh, who's telepathic and who's guiding him into being a better fortune teller. And there, I, I can see we could actually get kind of a buddy cop kind of thing going—a kind of a buddy relationship where they're, they're bouncing off each other, there's little, little smart alecky stuff. And I, I can see right in that where this—you know—this makes Hemsworth a lot more accessible. He's he's vulnerable but he's funny but he's snarky but he's protective I think the women are going to just die for this kid so
0: we're adding a villain character now so Uh, well we had the director uh, Laverne Cox Laverne Cox and
2: and, and she would be fantastic you can just you know just kind of Make her super glam, so like she's really successful, and she, like you know, has the, the spiked heels and the limousine, and, and, and she's, you know, got, takes the sip of water and then throws the bottle away because she's so wealthy. And then he's just this down yeah. and out, crappy fortune teller across the street. Um, and that rivalry, but yet that draw, you know, she comes over to warn him. You can see her, like, silhouetted ab- against the door, and she's like, I'm just here to tell you, you know, you've got to back off. And yet he's drawn to her. He finds himself attracted to her. But he knows she's trouble. Um, And then meanwhile, here's his telepathic dog. In the corner, she doesn't even know it. And the dog is just like, oh, yeah, she really smells like she's in heat. You know, you get some real comedy here, you know. Um, And she can't hear it. And he's got to, like, keep a straight face. Like, he's an actor. He can do that. You know, he's sort of choking back the laughter. And yet dealing with her threat, that seems like a really dynamic uh, kind of thing. And I, I, I I can... we, we could write this so it really builds to a to an enormous uh, uh, crescendo at the end of the film. I think uh, this, these are some really great casting choices, and I'm really excited for this. I think we can make this a really popular stuff of blockbuster.
1: All right. So, Kamara, you've got a few changes from the studio, and you've got a, a fresh version of the script on your desk. Mm. What do you think? What's going to make this, this movie exciting and memorable? What are we going to do to really make this movie your own? You know,
3: I'm... I'm really excited about Le- Laverne Cox coming on, you know, as the evil fortune teller love interest rival. I think coming off of Rocky Horror Picture Show, this is a natural progression in her career. You know, Frank Inferter, fortune teller. It just works and it will sell. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm glad we're on board with Chris Hemsworth. You know, I like, I like the idea of a meteor fortune teller, a meaty, weak fortune teller. It just, you know, the dialectic in that is really explorable, it's really malleable. I say, let's get our hands in there and work that. However, I would like to make a deal with the producer halfway between Don Johnson and Meryl Streep, hear me out. Sally Field, what has she done since Steel Magnolias? Nobody knows. She's there, she's available, and when we're talking about bringing sci-fi fans in, I think there's nothing that will speak to them more than the woman who starred in Not Without My Daughter. Sci-fi fans just go nuts over that film. I mean, it's like nothing I've ever seen before.
2: Well, and the flying nun.
3: Yeah, and the flying nun. She
2: could fly. You get
3: the older audiences, you get the younger audiences. I mean, you just... And it's it's that Oscar-winning acting, but at a bargain. Sally Field. Just just think it over. Um, yeah. As far as uh, the young ingenue goes, I think Rue is a perfect choice. Well, that was
0: her character in Hunger Games. Wait, Sand Steinberg?
3: Steinberg. Stenberg. Stenberg.
0: Amandala Stenberg.
3: Amandala. Yes. Amandala. Amandala Hug and Kiss. I think she's an excellent choice. She's a really strong actress, also very malleable. Um, You know, and I can't wait to see this sort of dynamic between her and Hemsworth build. Is it more of a father daughter type of thing? Is it more of a a cousin-cousin type of thing. What is that relationship gonna be like? I don't know, is I'm really excited. Is it an really Alabama excited.
2: cousin kind Is to. it an
3: Alabama, is it a kissing cousin kind of thing? You never know, is it a cousin at the barbecue kind of thing? You you just, you you'll never really know, I won't know until I get on set and start working with these highly capable, incredibly versatile actors. And you know, I just, I really wanna thank you for giving me this script. I think it's incredible, you know, for something you cobbled together in your early years, I, I you know, it's, say, very, wow.
2: it's very important to me. It, it's yeah. really where my heart is. It really talks about my experience growing up, and then uh, I can tell. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I
3: can. I can feel it yeah. when I'm reading of the plight of Tony, the weak fortune teller who is physically meaty. It just sinks. Yeah. You know, and I really, I really think this could be, the next Dreamers oh, list. It's gonna be huge. Yeah. It's, it's gonna, gonna be huge. amazing. Yeah. People are gonna be talking about this for decades. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: So Kyle, you've got uh, the new draft of the script. You've got uh, a few new notes from the director. What do you think about that direction they're going in? What are we gonna do when, uh, to get butts in seats? Sure.
0: I, I was gonna fight you on the Don Johnson thing, but I uh, I just found out that uh, he uh, he he was he's been living in Cheech Marin's couch for a while, mm. and uh, he got into an unfortunate accident and damaged his larynx, so that voice that everyone would would uh recognize. I think it involved a ping pong. I I don't want to get into details. This, you know, private life and besides TMZ will probably do a full expose on it eventually. So Sally feels just fine. We can get her for a pretty good price because like I said, what has she done since steel magnolia is not much. We'll have to pay her actual money, but we don't have to pay her much, which is great. Mm-hmm. Now but I got some word from the studio execs. They they like the action pieces, they like Hemsworth, they like Laverne Cox. You know, they they like the young starlet. We got set up with a three-picture deal, you know, when this takes off. But the problem is they're like, Laverne Cox, while she's, you know, intimidating and all, she's not much of a threat to the physical Hemsworth. Like, when when, when some of the test shots from the early stuff we shot, they're like, why doesn't Hemsworth just punch Laverne Cox? Like, he's Thor. So Laverne Cox is going to have her own, like, lieutenant, like kind of badass enforcer Mm. who also has a connection to our female... Protagonist, and he's the one who killed her father, and stuff. And we're gonna have him played by Idris Idris Elba, who's gonna play the villain because he's hot right now. He's in the Gunslinger. You know, these talks he might be in the next James Bond. We're gonna steal him before the James Bond, James Bond people take him. You know, and Star Trek Three, and Mm -hmm. and we're gonna tap in the Marvel audience because Hemsworth and Elba are in the Thor movies. So in there, their teammate, we're gonna have them fight each other. We're gonna have a big just manly it's going to be the second coming of the they live roddy piper keith you know, we're, we're just going to redo that fight mm. basically shot for shot but instead of just we're going to have laverne cox and the talking dog watching the fight we'll mm. cut to reactions of the others watching this fight happen it's a telepathic dog. it's a telepathic yeah whatever I don't care. Talking telepathic. There's like I, I feel like the dog should like have a catchphrase, but mm-hmm. if it's tele- telepathic, like only the characters that can hear him in his mind. But you know, we'll, we'll work on that. I, I wouldn't mind a catchphrase, but uh, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna have Idris Elba, Hemsworth, and like that's gonna put ladies in the seats. We'll make sure we have plenty of shots of them both shirtless. Um. Just make sure, oh, yeah. the, like director, you know, it some of them may be gratuitous shots. Like, why do you take your shirt off there? There's no real reason other than to put butts and seats. But we'll, we'll deal with it.
3: The sheer artistry of Idris Elba and Chris Hemsworth shirtless is enough. Yeah. It's enough. It is an artistic choice, and I will defend it
0: sure. for the rest of my I, life. Put butts and seats. I don't care. We make action figures of all four of the main, and people can just you know do all kinds of fun stuff. We won't make the same mistake disney did with the race stuff we'll go right in all the characters action figures right away the dog's mouth can move even though it doesn't talk we'll make it move and people can pretend it talks so that's what we got for it so or mm-hmm. we'll salva in there make sure we redo the fight from they live and i'm happy
1: so i've got the the data back from marketing here i've sent it all out and uh, you know they have some some information back for us based on how the, the movie did uh the movie does okay in theaters Um, Bring it out at a time when there's not a whole lot of other stuff, so people do go and see it. Um, Get a little bit of DVD sales. The overall reviews are kind of mixed. Most of them, you know, kind of hover around the, you know, two to three out of four stars or the, you know, about six to seven out of ten.
2: What's it get on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes has it about a 65%. Okay. Fair. So, better than than a lot, but uh, could be better as well. Uh, most of the, the concerns are coming from the, the kind of confusing apocalypse plot that happens while a bunch of shirtless people are fighting each other um, and whether or not this movie is supposed to lead into to sequels or not um, but audiences do like you know shirtless Hemsworth and Idris Elba um, they, they come in for that they stay for that The gifts hit Tumblr very quickly so yeah you do okay uh, just just barely makes its money back. Do, do we get a, a deal for the next two films? Uh, the studios are are considering it uh. the same way that they're considering making more Riddick movies.
3: That's uh, hard so, to hear. So,
1: Baba, uh, do you have any last thoughts or any final changes that you might want to make to this piece?
2: Well, I mean, I think I think that uh, you know, it it kind of hurts. Um, it kind of cuts me uh, pretty deeply that uh, the full vision of the three films. Uh, won't play out because artistically I feel like it's it's like it's like opening up uh, uh, an orchestral movement with the first movement and then stopping um, and I, you know so hopefully we can maybe we can go to uh, maybe we can go to uh, the CW uh, take take it there maybe we can go to uh, Netflix uh, take the next two films there because um, you know I think that it's important that we see the full arc of development so that in the end um, when she saves the world that that uh, that uh, uh, Amanda Hug and Kiss, uh whatever her name was. Uh, Amanda, no, La- Amanda
0: Lister- Sternberg.
2: Yeah, Sternberg. that, that yeah. one. Um, when we see her as coming fully into herself, uh, she's wearing the armor, she's got the sword, um, you know, she's got the urn of ashes, uh, that, that would really speak to the audience at the end of the third film. But, you know, uh, we'll take it one, one film at a time, I think. Um, I, I think that. Uh, Idris Elba is an interesting addition. I think writing him in will be tough because we already have kind of a love triangle with Hemsworth and um, and, and his rival and his and his assistant or his his, his uh, 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 apprentice. And and now you bring in another man. And and is Hemsworth going to be? Romantically attracted to him? Is the dog romantically attracted to him? Is Hemsworth romantically attracted to anybody? Mm. You you kind of mix up the love triangle. You don't want to turn it into a love pentagram uh, because then you end up with a rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock kind of scenario that can get really confusing for the viewer. So I think that probably somebody has to die off pretty early in the movie in order to get it back down to a love triangle because, of course, that's what the viewers want to see. They want to see that that choice that somebody has to make between between attractive sensual evil and innocent beautiful purity and and they have to choose that thing everyone identifies with that because each of us finds ourselves in, in that place at some point in our lives um, hopefully I'm hoping to get there soon myself um, but yeah I think otherwise the structure of the film is great I think I think that you know just because the viewers didn't see it sometimes sometimes the audience doesn't know best um, sometimes you have to go with your artistic vision and mm. damn the results you know damn uh rotten tomatoes yeah i said it um you know i, I feel good about this movie
1: all right so, kamara any any last thoughts or little changes you want to make based on the, the results from your market
3: you know jacob bob when i think of genre-defined films that are made to be classic that open the mixed reviews i think of Princess Bride. I mean, when that first came Mm -hmm. out, everyone was confused. The poster was wrong. You know, I really think that's a marketing issue, to be honest. I mean, we just have the star power and the artistry behind this thing. So, you know, let's take it back to the marketing department. And when that thing was released on VHS explosion, no one knew it was going to happen. Carrie Elvis didn't know. I did. I remember sitting in that theater and being like, yeah, this is going to be big. So I think that the same thing could very well happen to uh, Trouble in Mind. I think it's yep. just right around the corner. Um it's just it's one of those films that, you know, it's it's yeah, it's gonna it's gonna blow some minds. It's gonna confuse people. Love Pentagrams. I mean,
2: yeah. And and, and you know, I I've, I've seen the animated GIFs of the dogs catchphrase, that bites, right? Yeah. It, it's popular. It's yeah. got the catchphrases out there.
3: Because of the most majority African American cast, Black Tumbler is eating it up. Black Twitter also on it. They're supportive of it. Ava DuVernay has agreed to co-direct the next film with me, so I think that might get the uh, the studios on board with making it a trilogy.
2: You know, what if we brought in Nadia Cora for to write the sequel. She could co-write. She could, yeah, because
3: I, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want your hand off this. I mean, you've got a well, hand of magic.
2: I I appreciate you saying that. Um, I I'd love to work with someone as talented as her. So mm-hmm. you know, if we could bring her in, maybe that would really make I'm the next one. Sure, we could. With Boom. the money we
3: saved on Sally Field, I mean, there's got to be something in it somewhere, in the budget somewhere. We'll make room, we'll make room. Uh, Yeah, I just, I'm really proud of the work we did. You know, not everything in art has to be accessible or explained. You know, that was something I knew when I was reading the script. And I just—it really resonated with me. The people that get it will get it. The people that don't, hey, they can go watch Love Actually.
2: i, I thought the scene where the, where you had the dog's ears go out in the shape of the nun's habit, mm-hmm. and then the dog took off and flew into the—I—that was brilliant. I and, and and how many people got that? You know, how many people understood where you were going with that? But I got it, you know, because I could—I know your kind of vision. I know your kind of drive. I understood where you were
3: going. Yeah, with that. yeah. My nephew Shahid understood it. You understood it. Yep. My aunt Pat understood it. And Dane Judy Dench understood it. And frankly, if that's the demo I'm hitting. Right. That's fine with me.
2: Yep.
1: All
3: right. So Kyle,
1: the
0: marketing numbers yeah. are in.
3: Yeah. What's it gonna be? Well,
0: I, I got some word back from marketing and, and while they were cold from the sequels at first, when that when they saw the numbers from Black Tumblr and Black Twitter, they're like, Man, this will really get us off the heat for some of the heat we're taking for you know. The whitewashing, whitewashing, uh, quote-unquote, of Doctor Strange, some of these other movies. So we have to really... This is our our showcase movie to show that Hollywood isn't racist, even though it probably is. But we can use this as an example to show or not. But uh, I do get the the idea. But we need to bring it in. I get the idea of not wanting the, the love Pentagon. So we have things... We found out in testing if we kill killing the dog, we just lose too much. People don't like seeing dogs get killed mm. in movies. It's just that's a no go. I'll
3: never forget that um, moment in Independence Day. Yep, I will never forget. But it. they don't care,
0: people. So, so in the Roddy Piper in the in the They Live fight, actually, Hemsworth and Elba are going to mutually kill each other in a Doomsday Superman type fashion, mm, mm. and it's just going to leave Laverne Cox the dog and Amanda Amanda Sternberg as our potential love triangle, or at least rival triangle. Yeah. Mm. It'll be a girl and her dog versus evil at Ooh. the end for the rest of the trilogy. But it also sets us up to introduce more hunks right. to fight and everything, mm. whatever. And we've actually already lined up in the studio, because we've got these two gentlemen inked in the studio's gonna we already have Matt Smith and Tom Hiddleston in wow. inked for the sequel. So that's going to get white tumble looking meat. Yep, yeah, that's going to get White Tumblr on board for the sequel. Because um, like, White Tumbler is going to eat up. like Their Zygmata bones are just going to like rub on each other, and like, Tumbler is going to explode. Because those gentlemen have the sharpest cheekbones you've ever seen. So with those two lined up, we got Hiddleston, we got Matt Smith. Matt Smith's actually coming in really cheap because he hasn't done much since Doctor Who. So we got those lined up. We got our starlets signed up for three movies. We got Laverne Cox, who couldn't be hotter, signed up as a recurring villain. She's our Skeletor, if you will, mm. um, but just less lame and more awesome than Skeletor. But she's our Skeletor. Signed up. Studios on board. Hiddleston Matt Smith on their way.
1: Trilogy time, folks. Trilogy time. All right. Well, it sounds like you're able to work out the, uh, the details to get your movie uh, a little bit closer to the, the budget you were looking to to hit in terms of, you know, bringing home a little bit extra and locking in a few more sequels. (coughs) And if there's a sequel that comes out, you know, that means that even if the first one was a little turdier on the edges, people are still going to come out and watch that second one they're like, oh, there's another one coming out. Well, that must mean the first one was okay. So you get a few more DVD sales out of that in the long run and get more play on, you know, cable channels, Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you actually do come out with a a pretty decent paycheck from this particular, this particular vehicle. That's good congratulations guys your movie made money excellent I will uh, leave our listeners with a little nugget of wisdom from the great sage Guy Fieri no matter how tough the meat may be it's going to be tender if you slice it thin enough thanks for listening